Get Sleepy is a production of Slumber Studios and is made possible thanks to the generous support of our sponsors and premium members. If you'd like to listen ad-free and access weekly bonus episodes, extra long stories, and our entire back catalogue, you can try out Premium free for seven days by following the link in the episode notes. Now, a quick word from our sponsors. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Get Sleepy, where we listen, we relax, and we get sleepy. I'm your host, Thomas. It means so much to have your company. Tonight, we return to the beloved fairy tale, Beauty and the Beast. And don't forget to check back here tomorrow night where we'll have a special Thursday night release on the public feed, featuring part three of this story. To recap the first part, after a bout of misfortune, Laurent and his six children were forced to give up their lives of privilege. While the oldest siblings struggled to adapt, the youngest daughter, Camille, was eager to learn new skills. One day, her father was riding back from a failed visit to the port city when a storm forced him to seek shelter in an old, gloomy mansion. Inside, he found the dinner table set for one and sat himself down to enjoy a hearty meal, eventually spending the whole night in this mysterious house. The next morning, he remembered a promise he made to Camille to bring her back the gift of a rose. When walking through the garden of the mansion, he spotted a rose bush and proceeded to take every single flower. With the final rose in his hands, he heard a disgruntled voice behind him, that of the beastly owner of the estate, who gave him a choice Either he must pay off his debt himself, or he must send one of his children to work it off in his place. Back at home, Laurent shared his tale. Camille listened thoughtfully, and then volunteered to take her father's place. She would be the one to join the owner and repay him for the theft of the roses. Together, Laurent and Camille set off through the woods until they reached the gates of the forbidding mansion once more, which is where we'll pick back up from tonight. If you're enjoying the show and you'd love to hear more episodes, why not try Get Sleepy Premium? It's our supporters feed where we have over 450 episodes including long-length versions, like the one we'll be releasing tomorrow, 
stitching together all three parts of Beauty and the Beast. Better still, everything is completely ad-free. To find out more and enjoy a seven-day free trial when you first sign up, go to getsleepy.com support or follow the link in the show notes. So, let's just take a moment to unwind, closing your eyes and taking a few deep, relaxing breaths. If your mind is still feeling quite active, don't try to fight it. The more we resist, the noisier it tends to become. So instead, just shift your focus onto my voice and onto your breath. Sense the rise and fall of your chest and stomach. And just like the clouds floating overhead, your thoughts can come and go as they please. Your consciousness, just like the calm, clear blue sky beyond the clouds, is a constant. It's always there. Sometimes there are lots of clouds floating around, maybe so many that you can't see the blue sky at all. But just know that your thoughts are much like those clouds, and your conscious mind is the ever-present blue sky, observing from beyond. Eventually, clouds will always part and float away, and that allows that blue sky to appear once more, clearing your mind and bringing a sense of serenity and clarity. As you let your own thoughts and distractions drift away, it's time to hear part two of our story. So allow your imagination to guide you as we return to the grand and mysterious chateau with Camille and her father. Camille stared openly at what lay before her. Both the elaborate, overgrown gardens and the soaring, unforgiving walls of the house were grander than anything she'd ever seen before. 
it was overwhelming, but also beautiful in its austerity. As a girl who had grown up in a village, Camille was speechless over the sheer size of the place, and she deeply sensed its mystery and its permanence. The very stones seemed to slumber as if they had long waited in secret, hoping to be rediscovered. She wondered what kind of work she would be required to undertake here, and hoped that it was not beyond her capabilities as the former keeper of a humble cottage. Laurence stopped the horse and cart when they'd reached the wide front steps. The wind gusted at them sideways, as if to blow them away from the entrance of the building. He slowly ascended, lifted the heavy door knocker, and let it fall. Father and daughter stood at the steps and waited, expecting the ferocious man of the house to appear. To their surprise, the door was slowly opened by a boy. He appeared to be about thirteen years old, and was dressed simply in the clothes of a villager. Sticking his head out of the opening, he observed the pair with frank curiosity. Then, appearing satisfied by his findings, he nodded. Is one of you the new servant then? he asked. Laurent was briefly taken aback, but he indicated that he had come to deliver his daughter, Camille, who would be working off the debt in his place. The boy nodded, as if this was not at all surprising, and tugged hard on the door, motioning for her to come inside. Then he told Laurent he could leave Camille's things in the grand foyer, and go. With that, the boy scuttled off into the recesses of the house, presumably to announce that the new servant waited. With the wind at her back, Camille walked through the doorway and into her new life. It was an emotional parting for Laurent and Camille, but they both put on a brave face. He and the faithful horse turned homeward, the sullen skies weighing down on them, and did not look back until they were outside the gates of the chateau. Then the swaying trees of the forest closed in behind them. Camille stood uncertainly 
in the echoing hallway. The grey light of the overcast day made its way into the room via tall windows above the door. But it did nothing to create a feeling of warmth. She suppressed a shiver, edging closer to the trunk that held her belongings. She told herself she would need to muster her courage and do her best. After a few minutes, the boy came running back into the hall and announced to her that the Baron had told him to take her to her room. With that, he cheerfully picked up her trunk and began lugging it up the large, curving staircase. Camille followed him, surprised that she was going up instead of down to a kitchen or lower room. Perhaps, she thought, she would be lodging in the attic. To her surprise, the boy turned down the first grand hallway. They padded along the richly carpeted east wing of the chateau, their silent steps moving past staring portraits of nobles from bygone eras. It was as if they were the permanent residents, and this strange girl was an unexpected interloper. Camille was so busy looking at them that she almost collided with the boy when he finally stopped in front of a door and pushed it open. Camille followed him inside and was surprised to find herself standing in the most well-appointed bedroom she'd ever seen. It was not overly large, and the furnishings were sober, but the canopied bed, the fine fabrics, and the rich wood trim were very luxurious. While she surveyed the room, noting a cozy window seat and a small dressing table, the boy knelt and started a fire in the grate. When it was crackling, he stood and dusted off his hands, grinning at her. I'm Gabriel, he said, and I help the Baron out around here with this and that. I'm so glad you've come. It does get a bit solitary sometimes, and I could use some help with the day-to-day. Camille wasn't sure how to respond, although she wondered what exactly the day-to-day was. Instead, she thanked him for the fire and asked when she would be meeting her new employer. Gabriel informed her that the Baron had indicated he would see her tomorrow and that he'd explain her duties then. For now, 
the boy would be bringing her a simple supper and hoped she would rest well for the night. Then, as suddenly as he had appeared, Gabriel left the room and closed the door silently behind him. Camille gathered her senses and went about unpacking her things. She hung her clothes in the large wardrobe and carefully put her small number of books on a side table by the bed. Flipping open the volume on top, she looked at the pink rose that lay between its pages. Smiling woefully to herself, she closed it again and pushed it to the side. Walking over to the window, she pulled the heavy drapes aside and tucked herself into the soft pillows of the window seat. From here, she had a sweeping view of the courtyard, with its gardens growing wildly around the edges of the walkways and up the stone walls around the chateau. Twilight was near, and the wind blew debris across the paved yard, tossing it up here and there into small cyclones. Dark clouds scudded across the rising moon. Exhausted by the journey and by the newness of this life, she briefly dozed there cocooned inside the curtains. She was awakened by a knock on her door. Pushing her way out of the window seat, she slowed her breathing purposefully and opened it. A tray lay outside with a simple dinner on it. Bread cheese, some soup, and some hot tea. Looking up and down the hall, she saw nobody. Gabriel was light on his feet, that was certain. Taking the tray into her room, she set it on a small table by the fire. She found she was ravenous and ate every last bite. Then, barely bothering to get ready for bed, she pulled the coverlet back and crawled into the warm embrace of her sheets and pillow. It was less than a minute before she was asleep. That night, Camille had strange dreams. She saw herself walking the dark halls of the chateau, following a large dog. The animal disappeared into different rooms, reappearing a few seconds later in the hallway each time. Trying to catch up 
with it. She came to a doorway where it had recently vanished. She looked into the room, and instead of a dog, she saw the back of a man sitting at a desk. The man began to turn in his chair, but before he faced her, she awoke. Sitting upright in bed, she saw that the fire had died down, and the sun was shining in her window. As her waking confusion cleared, there was a knock at her door. Gabriel was standing outside with a tray. Good morning, Miss Camille, he said politely. I've brought you a bite of breakfast. Then, motioning in the general direction of the entryway, he added, The Baron requests that you meet him in his study when you are finished. Camille nodded to the boy, took the tray, and he disappeared again. An hour later, Camille stood nervously at the door of the very room where her father had once eaten his stolen fireside dinner. Camille could hear paper shuffling around inside. She cleared her throat and knocked lightly on the door. The noises stopped and she heard a chair scraping across the floor. Momentarily, an enormous man with a copious amount of facial hair appeared. His features were unattractively prominent, and his face appeared to wear a natural scowl. He was a truly alarming sight, but Camille took care not to reveal her feelings and dipped her head politely in greeting. The huge man peered at her appraisingly and nodded his ungainly head in return. Then he gestured for her to be seated in a chair by the fire he lowered himself into the armchair opposite. I see that you are the one to work off your father's debt. Are you familiar with basic household tasks, such as cleaning and some cooking? he asked. Camille nodded, indicating that she was. The man appeared pleased by this. He lifted a heavy ring of keys off a nearby table. As you can see, I am very short on help here. Gabriel takes care of my basic needs. His mother keeps me provisioned with bread, milk, and eggs each day, and he runs errands to town.
but there is nobody else to manage the estate other than myself. I'm sure you can tell that by looking around. It's still too much work for just you and Gabriel, but we will make do. He paused, as if waiting for a reply. Camille was aghast at the idea of being the only housekeeper in this huge mansion, but she didn't think there was a point in saying so. The man continued, These keys will open most rooms in the house, although there is little reason to use many of them. If you need something that Gabriel cannot get for you, please speak to me. Otherwise, I am not particular and would like you to make as many household decisions for yourself as possible. I spend most of my time in my study or in the library. Overwhelmed by the enormity of the job he was giving her, Camille could only nod, indicating that the interview was at an end. He stood abruptly. Camille rose from her seat, took the ancient-looking keys from him, and nodded. Then, as she made her way out of the room, he called after her. Dinner is at 7pm. I think it would be very sensible if you would join me in the dining room. Camille bobbed her head, thanked him, and left the study. She stood, somewhat bewildered, in the echoing front hall, feeling at once that she was lost in it, and also that it was closing in on her. Spreading the heavy keys across her open palm, she gazed at them reflectively. She didn't know what doors they opened, but they held a quiet aura of authority about them. She was stirred from her reverie by the sight of Gabriel emerging from the shadows. Grinning brightly in her direction, he asked if she would like a tour. She gratefully accepted, and so her adventure of being the housekeeper at the chateau began. What Camille learned was that the employer lived alone and had for many years. Because of his fierce appearance, the people in the surrounding area feared him. They whispered unkind stories and spurned him rudely when he showed his face in public. Gabriel was the only person who connected him to the outside world, 
he had started by running errands for the Baron years ago. But he had soon come to love and appreciate the man behind the unapproachable visage. He insisted that the Baron's bark was worse than his bite. Now, Gabriel spent every day at the house, taking care of what necessities he could. At night, he returned to his family's small home on the outskirts of town. Truly, miss, he insisted, the Baron is a fair and kind-hearted man. Gabriel gave Camille a tour of the many rooms and the corridors of the entire chateau, which was suffering from neglect throughout. Most of the rooms along the gloomy hallways were unused. Camille's keys opened bedroom after bedroom that were covered in dust sheets the fireplaces cold. Some rooms had not been used for decades or even centuries. Furniture and belongings were piled high in those places, laced with cobwebs. The windows filtered the light weakly from outside as the glass was coated in many years of grime. As Camille discovered, there were just a few rooms that were used every day, and these she must try to clean and organize. Those included the kitchen, the Baron's study, and the front entryway. Most marvelous, however, was the library. Gabriel allowed Camille to peek into the library while the Baron was busy elsewhere, and she was astounded by it. A huge room with high ceilings and gold trim opened before her. Bookcases stretched all the way to the very top, lining every part of every wall, except where there was a window. Rolling ladders perched at the end of each side of the room, ready to slide across the bookcase and allow the visitor to reach any volume they wanted. And the volumes. It seemed there were too many to count. With spines in many colors of crimson, forest green, navy blue, and brown, each begged to be pulled from the shelf and perused at length. Camille was an avid reader of the few books she had possessed during her father's financial disgrace, 
but she had never seen or imagined a collection like this one. According to Gabriel, the Baron spent a large amount of his time here, and it did appear to be true. Tables throughout this lavish hideaway were piled with tomes that were open to particular pages or collected in groups. Two worn leather armchairs spoke of long hours turning their heavy pages. Gabriel told her solemnly that he was to always keep the fire going in the grate during the day. Camille imagined what it would be like to open one of these countless volumes and sink into a soft chair, inhaling the scent of the aged and ink-laden paper. It was intoxicating. Camille knew that the only way to make progress in this neglected house was simply to choose a place and begin. That first day, she and Gabriel dusted and aired the front hall and cleaned the kitchen. Gabriel and the Baron had been making simple meals there for a long time, but much of the space was in need of attention. Camille was not an expert cook, but she took pleasure in making the kitchen shine again. She sent Gabriel to town with a list of supplies to be delivered. Then, standing in the grand, silent kitchen, she began to work. Unused countertops were cleared of their dust. Pots and pans received a much-needed polish. The cold and empty space slowly began to feel alive again. By the time she was due to sit down to dinner with the Baron, she had prepared a simple meal of roasted chicken. It was not complicated, but she was proud of it. With little time to tidy herself, Camille returned to her room. Gabriel had rekindled the fire there, and she used her pitcher and washstand to freshen up, putting on her nicest dress. As she walked to the window to pull the drapes for the night, she paused and peered out into the gloom. The courtyard lay silent, as if in wait. Nothing stirred, not even a bird was visible. It was as if the grounds were under a spell 
of silence. She thoughtfully tugged the velvet curtains together and pulled herself away from the sight. There was much to learn about this place, she thought. Then, lighting a candle, she made her way down the velvety twilight of the darkening hallway and slowly descended the wide stairs to the tall doors of the dining room. The space was very grand for two people. At one time, it had surely hosted glittering parties and showy formal dinners. Looking up, she admired the sparkling crystal chandelier which loomed over the chamber like a canopy of stars. Gabriel had set two places at one end of the long table, and the dinner had been laid out. She was the first to arrive. She did not have long to wait. The baron's hulking shape appeared awkwardly in the doorway. He paused and nodded his head briefly in greeting. Then he motioned to the two place settings to indicate she should have a seat. Camille gladly took one of the upholstered chairs. I can see you have been hard at work with Gabriel today, the Baron commented, raising his eyebrows at the hearty dinner she had prepared. He has borne a heavy burden these past years as my only help. I'm glad you will be here to take on some of his labors. Camille nodded, unsure of how to respond. Then she said, My lord, and paused when he shook his head. Please, you may simply call me Antoine, he responded. I am lord of nothing now, Lord of this chateau and its pile of dusty relics, he jested darkly. Then, looking in her eye, he said, I am sorry you were compelled to come here under such conditions, but I hope you will be comfortable. I try to be a fair man, and I am glad of the company. Camille nodded and smiled briefly. Would you like me to tidy the library tomorrow? She asked. I was not sure if you wanted me to go in there. The Baron thought briefly and nodded, saying that it would be fine. Then he offered. You should feel free to borrow any book that you liked from the room. After all, 
in the words of Descartes, the reading of all good books is like a conversation with the finest minds of past centuries. I think you will find that my library has quite an incredible capacity to provide any book you have ever heard of. It is rather magical in that regard. Surprised by his kind offer and civilized words, Camille observed her unfortunate-looking employer while he ate. She had been at the chateau only a day, and her entire view of her situation had begun to change. She was the mistress of a large house, with full independence to work as she chose, and she had just been offered entrance to a vast library. Perhaps this twist of fate was not going to be as grim as she had imagined. She regarded her plate quietly in the flickering firelight, hearing only the clinking of silverware on china. The Baron and Camille did not speak much during that dinner, finishing their food in respectful silence. Later, when she rested comfortably, tucked into the crisp white sheets in her grand canopied bed, Camille felt hopeful. This isolated estate appeared to hold many intriguing secrets, and she looked forward to discovering them in good time. Turning over on her side, she gazed sleepily at the drapes again, closed tightly against the night outside the window. Inside this chateau, there was a flame that was keeping this place warm. She could feel it. The next day, after tidying up the kitchen, Camille cautiously approached the library. She knew the Baron was in his other study, and it seemed like a good time to explore the marvelous room of books under the guise of cleaning it. Taking a duster, she began methodically moving around the stack of books and between tables, addressing neglected surfaces that had collected a layer of dirt over time. As she was about to move some stacked volumes aside, Antoine appeared in the doorway. Please don't disturb any stacks or open books, he said. Camille apologized, backing away from the pile she had been touching. No need to apologize, he reassured her. 
I realize it looks untidy. It's just that I am researching and I don't want to lose my place. Then he asked her if she had chosen a volume for herself. She responded that she had not and asked if he had any recommendations. Camille admitted that she felt unequal to the task of understanding such important works. She had come from a much less learned background than he. Antoine smiled and spread his hands wide, saying, Awareness of ignorance is the beginning of wisdom. Seeing her confusion, he winked humorously at her and added, That bit of wisdom is from Socrates. Striding across the room, he picked up a small volume on a lower shelf and handed it carefully to her. Maybe you would like some of his other thoughts. He believed strongly that we should all ask a lot of questions. Camille took the book with a nod of thanks and prepared to leave the room. Before she did, however, she turned and indicated that she did, in fact, have a question. Would it be possible for me to engage some villagers to come and tidy the gardens before winter? She asked. Antoine looked at her somewhat mournfully and shrugged. If Gabriel can find anyone willing to venture onto the estate, you are welcome to do that. Unfortunately, most are afraid to enter the walls of the chateau. I'm afraid many outlandish tales have been told about me over the years, which is why I find myself mostly alone. Camille frowned. How can you bear it? Does it not make you angry to be treated so unfairly? The Baron looked down thoughtfully and responded, I was once a better-looking man who was also vain and foolish. It took a great misfortune for me to see the error of my ways, and the scorn people have for me is probably just payment for my folly. Camille did not respond. She wouldn't ask any more questions today, but she was determined to find out more about how her employer had fallen into such an unfortunate state. For now, she was looking forward to reading Socrates in her room after dinner. Camille quickly adjusted to her new life 
as the housekeeper of the chateau, and even came to love it. By sheer bribery, she was able to have Gabriel hire a few village men who came to the estate one day and rid the gardens of years of neglect. This was only after they received strict instructions from Camille not to hurt the rosebush by the pergola. Apparently, it had been planted by Antoine's mother and was very special to him. She almost regretted having the village men come to the house when she overheard them speaking ill of Antoine. They say he is an absolute monster, one exclaimed loudly to the other. Lives like an animal in there, another added. No manners and unfit for human company. But I'll take his money, the man finished rudely. Camille noticed Antoine standing by the window listening to the entire exchange. She rushed to close it, anxious to spare him the men's heartlessness. He waved her off, apparently unconcerned. I'm used to this type of talk, he explained. It has been many years since I was able to circulate in society. Camille was nonetheless upset. How can you tolerate such unfairness from people who don't even know you? How do you not loathe them? she asked. He shrugged, gazing thoughtfully at a stack of books on a nearby table. A great English playwright named William Shakespeare once wrote, Heat not a furnace for your foe so hot that it do singe yourself. By bearing good will for these unknowing people, I ease the burden on myself. Then he smiled and nodded at Camille, saying, You might like to read Shakespeare yourself. He wrote some excellent plays. And with that, he turned back to his stack of books, leaving Camille to consider his words and the dreary day outside.